Section 7 of The Man Who Understood Women and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Man Who Understood Women and Other Stories by Leonard Merrick. The Laurels and the Lady. Part One. Part One. When Willie Childers was sent to the Cape, he went to the last country on the face of the habitable globe to which he was suited. It is certainly a question whether he would have made a success of life anywhere, but at the Cape he was so much out of place that he became conspicuous. In Paris, when he had learnt the language, he would at least have felt at home. He would have drifted by slow degrees into a congenial set in London. But on the diamond fields, a young man who hoped to be a poet and who already wrote verse was an incongruity that defies comparison. To give him his due, he was conscious that his presence was absurd there and justified the chaff that it received, and he loathed the fields with a deeper loathing than any other member of its perspiring population. But he could not go to the length of altering his nature and becoming brisk and enterprising, nor did he want to do that. It was not with his nature, but with his environment that he found fault. Lucky rhymes to him were scrip and share, and he was full of confidence that his mellow meters were going to make him celebrated one day. He would rather have been left in peace with plenty of stationery than have had the business of any broker in the market. It was as a broker that he began. His uncle, Blake Somerset, was the manager of the Fortunatus Mining Company in Boldfontaine, and when Willie came down from Oxford, Somerset wrote to the Dulwich Villa that, Now all that damn university foolishness was over, the boy had better buckle to and try to make a living. It must be conceded that Willie had not distinguished himself at Oxford, and displayed no ability for any of the recognized professions. All the same, the suggestion that he should buckle to in South Africa sounded to him preposterous. Dimly, he had had visions of being called to the bar and obtaining pleasant chambers where he could write poetry all day without being disturbed. But he had reckoned without his mother, without her faith in her brother's judgment. The letter had made a strong impression on her mind, and at the idea of its being scouted, she both showed temper and shed tears. The lady's antecedents and sympathies were commercial. She, too, had felt Brazenose to be foolishness. Indeed, she had felt the adjective which she might not use, and the possession of a son who seemed content to roam about the garden with a book of Rossetti's or Walter Pater's, and who confessed that he didn't know the multiplication table, was causing her considerable disquietude. She wondered if there had been any eccentricity in the past, on poor dear Robert's side. Yes, the maternal view was different from Willie's. She retracted her suggestion that he should read for the bar. It had been but a half-hearted compromise when she made it, 
and declared that the cape offered far finer prospects she decided that it was just the plan to take the nonsense out of him and she answered her brother to the effect that his nephew would sail in two or three weeks time though she refrained from explaining to him what kind of young man his nephew was somerset was not long in finding it out he himself looked like a farmer or as one expects a farmer to look he had a big red face and a loud laugh and was powerfully framed his biceps might have been a gymnast willie was a disappointment the moment he alighted from the train being slightly built and consumptive looking and he had no conception of business that was evident in their initial conversation without a suspicion as yet of the young fellow's tendencies somerset felt instinctively there was something wrong with him the ignorance of things that he ought to have known might be excused in remembering the kind of training that he had had but there was something worse than ignorance there seemed to be a hint of incapacity not only had he no ideas about making money he didn't appear interested or intelligent in the matter a fact which promised no brilliant future for him considering that all he would have at the widow's death was three or four hundred a year nevertheless being responsible for his coming blake somerset did his best for his relative in a rough way look here he said after a few days i think broking will be about your mark here youngster you ought to earn ten or twelve pounds a week at it if you're smart i'll take you round the market to-morrow and introduce you willie replied that he was much obliged what do i do he inquired do you sell the stones you go into the dealer's offices every morning and ask for parcels and then you cut about into all the other dealers and show em it's a pity you don't know anything about a diamond but you'll soon pick a smattering up and you're always safe to say i've a nice little lot that will just suit you the description was not very attractive to the oxford man but being already uncomfortably conscious that his uncle did not think much of him he made a gallant attempt to simulate an alacrity that he couldn't feel the introductions were duly effected and having procured a license willie embarked on his career as a diamond broker without delay he was equipped with a morocco leather satchel furnished with many pockets and designed to carry all the parcels that were to be entrusted to him but he did not get any he hadn't effrontery enough when he made his applications he asked as briefly as possible if there was anything for him and slunk out mortified as soon as the man said no this though he did not fail to observe that his more experienced competitors entered with a cheery greeting an air of confidence and sometimes such a good story i must tell you mr meyerstein which proved much more effectual half an hour after the market opened he had repeated his dreary formula vainly in every doorway in the street then he returned to his hotel and dreamed of fame and england his uncle hearing of his speedy withdrawal told him that it wouldn't do 
if he wished to succeed he must remain on the scene and manage to look as if he were succeeding willie with a heavy heart took the hint and from ten o'clock till four henceforward with the thermometer at a hundred degrees in the shade he bustled round and round the crooked little flaring road vaunting his empty satchel as if he were very busy indeed but the pretence did not seem to impress any of the dealers who sat in their shirt-sleeves behind the wide windows weighing diamonds in lacklustre scales and when he called they always replied that they weren't sending anything out this morning just the same at last somerset wrote to his sister that her boy had better return to dulwich he said wittily that there was no opening on the fields for poets he had discovered willie's bent by this time and warned her that living was expensive there the future laureate would loaf more cheaply at home mrs childers replied that she felt such surroundings to be desirable for the formation of her son's character he had no father and a young man who did not seem to have any proper ambition would be a great responsibility for her to cope with alone perhaps by and by blake might be able to put him into a clerkship or something that would enable him to keep himself decently in the meanwhile the extra expense would not amount to so much as his passage would cost somerset who had lost all interest in his nephew accordingly looked about and presently contrived to obtain a post for him and willie went into the magistrate's court at dutoit's pan to keep the criminal record and take affidavits of assault and other offences at a salary of three pounds a week that had been two years ago and as if to justify his uncle's poor opinion of him he was a clerk in the same place still this afternoon he sat idly before his desk in the sweltering office and gazed through the bars of the open window at two or three kaffir prisoners in charge of a police sergeant waiting till their names were called they had their backs against a wall and their feet in the thick hot dust through the door that communicated with the shed-like court he could hear the droning tones of the assistant magistrate disposing of the case in hand presently the voice of the interpreter shouting john sixpence piccaninny tom fool proclaimed the turn of the negroes outside the sergeant gave them a push and they moved forward apathetically drawing their blankets closer about their skinny thighs the baking wall and the glare of dust were all that was left to see. Childers closed his eyes wearily. His sight had been troubling him of late, and leant back in his chair, wondering if life had any surprise in store for him, if anybody else on earth was so entirely wretched. His faith in himself had deserted him by now, and he no longer foresaw himself a celebrity. He was very young indeed, for confidence to have gone, but he was not naturally self-reliant, and it had been chaffed out of him. He was sick with a longing for sympathy, quite the last thing attainable here. In truth, he presented one of the most pathetic figures that the world displays, though he was regarded in the camp as cutting a ludicrous one. For while he experienced all the emotions of genius, 
his Vesuvius brought forth a mouse. He was in temperament an artist, and in destiny a clerk. His verse was disgraceful. At times, much more rarely than he knew, there was a flash of something better than grace in it. But in the force to set him free from the environment that crushed him, it was lacking. He flapped feeble wings, like stern starling in his cage, crying, I can't get out! The interpreter brought in the list for the misdemeanors and sentences to be entered in the record. Good afternoon, Massa Childers. I'm going home. Good afternoon, Magasa. Part Two It was a quarter to five. Mr. Shepherd, the assistant magistrate, a young man with a pink-and-white complexion, who had grown a beard in order to make himself look older, consulted his watch and yawned. Hey-ho, poet! Tired, sir. Tired and dry. We'll have a liquor as soon as we shut the shop. By the by, the mail's in. The assistant magistrate was always among the first to know when the mail was in, being engaged to a girl in England. Later on she would make her home here and cry to be back in Glapham. Childers was also interested in the arrival of the mail. He had submitted his volume of poems four months since to perhaps the only firm of publishers left for it to go to, and it was within the bounds of possibility that there might be a line by this time conveying their regrets. "'Are they delivering yet?' he asked. "'I didn't hear,' said Mr. Shepherd. "'My letters always come to the club. "'I say, are you going to the theatre tonight?' "'Not tonight. "'Of course I shall go some evening or other, "'but I expect all tonight's seats are gone. "'No, they say there are still some left to fight for at the doors. "'All the best ones are gone, you bet. Two pounds each. "'Great Scott! "'Better than clerking, eh?' "'Better than trying niggers in the pan, too.' said the assistant magistrate. Did you ever see her at home? Willie shook his head. Have you? I saw her once, yes, in my last holiday. I don't know French, but I shall never forget it as long as I live. No kid. She is the greatest actress in the world. She turns you inside out. I wish she played in English, said Willie, filling his pipe. She might just as well. They say she speaks it fluently. Have you got a match, boss? Rose de Chaine had been tempted to Kimberley. There had been an excited rumor of her coming the year previous, but the negotiations fell through, and there was nothing better than a prize fight on the border of the Orange Free State. Now the famous actress had actually arrived. The local papers had been teeming for weeks with all the anecdotes of her that had been worn threadbare in Paris and London a decade and more ago her eccentricities, her extravagance, her pet tiger cub, and her eighty thousand pounds worth of dresses, the public read the stories all over again and enjoyed them. Such of the stores as sold photographs had crowded their windows with her likenesses, and the walls of the corrugated iron theatre and the bar beside it were placarded with the name of Rosa de Chaine in letters five feet long. 
every editor on the fields had rushed in person to interview her and this morning's independent detailed her impressions of the place which she had artlessly declared seemed to her to contain a larger number of handsome men and pretty women than any other city of its size that she had seen even rosa duchene cannot afford to neglect such impressions willie lit his pipe and puffed at it with a sudden sense of pleasure yes he would go this evening if he could get in it would be an emotion tasted earlier than he had expected it did mr shepherd mean to go ted shepherd said that he did the five shilling seats were quite good enough for him and they would go together if willie liked he glanced at his watch again and started the devil he exclaimed we've stopped five minutes too long come on poet we'll go and have that drink they picked up their wide-awakes hurriedly and strolled into the club. The boy behind the bar had fallen asleep and was dozing as peacefully as the flies allowed, for work in the mines did not conclude till sundown, and the club was almost deserted at this hour. The only members visible were a digger, whose enterprise had terminated by reason of exhausted capital, and a law agent without any clients, and a medical man who had many patients, but rarely received his fees. The civil servants had brandy and soda, and the assistant magistrate played with the dice-box. "'I'll shake you who pays for both to-night, if you like, poet,' he said. Willie nodded, and won, and ordered fresh brandy and soda to celebrate his victory. They had scarcely swallowed it when they became aware of an angry mutter mingling with the whir of the buckets and the throbbing of engines across the road, a clamour of impatient voices. The digger, who was looking at a picture of Hyde Park Corner in the illustrated London news, and wondering how long it would be before he saw the original again, became aware of it also, and he dropped the paper with apprehension. "'I'm afraid that's about me,' he said, turning rather pale. "'What's wrong, Johnny?' asked Shepherd. "'It's the boys, I expect. You see, I couldn't pay em this morning. They'll go for me if they get the chance.' Willie went to the door, followed by everybody excepting Johnny Teal. A gang of some fifty niggers, Zulus, Kaffirs, and Basudos of all ages, had surged to the foot of the step a low gravelled veranda before the club, and were demanding their wages or Mr. Teal's blood. "'It is the boys,' said Willie. "'I thought so. Well, tip em some of your verses, poet, and calm em down.' "'Why don't you pay the beggars?' said the law agent. "'Pay em, echoed the ex-lessee of the Mui Clip Mining Company. "'That cursed ground hasn't yielded working expenses for weeks.' pay him do you think i'm the standard bank the doctor exhorted him to come forward and he came gingerly his appearance was greeted with loud yells and a hundred naked arms were lifted in execration and appeal in the instinctive way that the negroes lifted their arms there was a touch of dignity even of tragedy that would have gladdened a london supermaster's heart presently however by dint of fervid promises which he had no prospect of being able to fulfil teal succeeded in inducing the posse to depart 
and this consummation attained he dragged his supporters jubilantly to the bar childers was not among them he made his way through the dust and ox wagons on the market square to the post office only to find the publishers had not written and then retracing his steps he went into his room to lie down his eyes ached badly and he was sure that he saw less clearly still the doctor had told him that the trouble was caused by his general condition and advised him to rest his sight as much as possible but rest had not improved it nor had the lotion and the tonic done any good soon afterwards the piercing shrieks of engines announced that work in the mines was over for the day and now men poured up in shoals to wash and dine and to exchange to-night their bedford cords for dress suits that were relics of a european past in kimberley dress suits were worn more frequently but kimberley was three miles from dutoit's pan and by comparison fashionable there were even men in kimberley who wore stiff collars every day and the theatre was there dutoit's pan had nothing but the club and an hotel and a corrugated iron church it was early when childers and his chief met again and drove into the larger township but a crowd had already collected under the electric lamps of main street and when the doors were opened and the pair at last gained seats they squeezed into them breathless a long procession of carts sped over the bare connecting road in the next half hour the rush hummed with carts comparatively small as was the theatre it appeared to those in it to contain the population of all the camps when the orchestra came in the house looked like a hill of white arms and bosoms and shining shirt-fronts a novel and agreeable flutter of suspense stole through the audience women glanced and smiled towards one another with little excited nods many had forgotten for the instant where they were and in fancy were transported to the francais or the gaiety where they had seen duchene last some touch of the excitement below communicated itself to childers upstairs as the three foreign knocks sounded he leant forward eagerly the play was la dame aux camellias it began with a few lines between davarville seated by the mantelpiece and nanine the maid willie strained in vain to distinguish what was said he had never read the piece though he knew the plot there was the entrance of nichette she spoke briefly to nanine and left and then followed an exhausting conversation between the man and the girl during which the audience suppressed their impatience as best they could few understood more than a word here and there though many assumed an air of keen appreciation there was the peal at the bell there was the servant's exclamation say madame she came on in her best style while the women caught their breath at her gown she affected unconsciousness that an audience was criticizing her but they would not have it they were too grateful to her the applause broke out vociferous and sustained the diamond fields were welcoming the only important actress that had then come to bless them and it was nearly a minute before she could speak as the act proceeded childers found his throat tightening queerly 
the story has been as much abused as any that was ever written but sickly unhealthy morbid or not it is a story that appeals to almost every imaginative young man it fascinates him strongly as it develops perhaps he too may one day meet a marguerite in secret he has often wished to do so and he identifies himself with its hero who on the stage is so splendid in his romance and passion and in the book by his own confession as errant a cad as ever escaped having his head punched from a theatrical point of view it has a greater recommendation it provides a leading actress with an opportunity which few modern dramas equal and to-night duchene who had carefully selected it for her opening performance availed herself of the opportunity to the fullest she was at this time nearly forty years of age but behind the footlights she did not look a day more than twenty-five her grace her power the tricks which in their apparent spontaneity concealed such cleverness that it demanded a fellow-player to appreciate them as they deserved took one novice among the spectators by storm at the end of the second act he felt that he was in the presence of a revelation during the fifth act tears rolled down his face and he tried furtively to hide them with his programme afraid that shepherd would ridicule him the result of willie childers going to see rosa duchene was really a foregone conclusion gunpowder had met the spark and only one thing could happen a poet that he was a pseudo-poet matters very little who had been eating his heart out on the diamond fields was confronted for the first time in his life with a beautiful woman who was a genius when the curtain fell and the people rose and screamed at her willie did not scream he kept his seat quivering hysterically he was wrenched by the death scene that he had witnessed the agony of the lover's cry was in his own soul he wanted to walk away somewhere alone the companionship of shepherd was torture to him and he thought that he would have given anything that could be named to have the right to go to her and stammer what she had made him feel such exaltation sounds very absurd but closely examined it is not so absurd as it sounds after the illusion of intimate confidence that is created by sympathizing with a great actress through the range of emotions that she represents laughing with her laughter and grieving with her when she grieves one leaves the theatre having seen nothing at all of her real nature but how much has one seen of the young girls with whom one may more conventionally fall in love at a dance both have uttered things that were not natural to them during the evening and to say the least of it the actress's pretense has been as attractive as the girl's one man would like to take her out to supper another would make of her an ideal and an inspiration she has charmed them both and the fact that suppers may be more in her line than inspiration is irrelevant he escaped from shepherd and taking up a position by the stage door waited there in the hope of obtaining a glimpse of her when she left the hope was not fulfilled she must have come out by another exit 
the intense dry heat and the sun's blinding glare had been succeeded by a faint breeze and as he drove home his mind spun more quickly for its freshness and the rapid motion of the cart he thought again of his volume of verse at the london publishers and saw it accepted and triumphant an unfamiliar exhilaration throbbed in his veins and fancy mounted beyond control playing all sorts of pranks unexpected and delightful till it seemed lifting him into heaven it was only when the horses stopped that he returned to reality from the stagnant pan came the croaking of frogs and the howling of innumerable stray curs the mine yawned deeply in the night and with the suggestion of gigantic gallows the structures of the hauling gear round the reef rose blackly against a luminous sky from the club there was the click of billiard balls and a jingle of glasses but he did not go in part three shepherd was the first to suspect what was the matter probably because he saw more of childers than anybody else did possibly because incriminating compositions on the government stationery fell under his notice indeed it is said that the girl at clapham received a tribute in verse from the assistant magistrate about this date anyhow suspicion arose and willie's reception of the tentative chaff was as damning as plain acknowledgment and much more comical altogether it was voted the most comical thing that the poet could have done Childers in love, pure and simple, would have been an amusing object, but Willie Childers in love with Rosa Duchesne was a situation that tickled Dutoit's pan uncontrollably. It became the favorite pastime to lure him into the smoking room and invent anecdotes about his enchantress. He was old enough to have forgotten how to blush, but he blushed still, and his face, while the stories were told, supplied them with a superfluous sauce piquant. And cartoons were made of him and pasted on the wall. In one he sang, Ask nothing more of me, sweet. All I can give you I give and was depicted on his knees to the actress with an ode in one hand and a child's money-box in the other life was made in various ways a burden to him though no one meant any harm good morning have you been to the theatre childers became the stock joke a catch-phrase with which he was greeted by everybody and when he did go to the theatre now he slunk in late and hid himself at the back of the gallery from shame it was when half of duchene's season of six weeks had expired that the chaff stopped and it stopped abruptly for the first time men spoke of willie childers in a tone of gravity one morning he had not appeared in the magistrate's court he had sent a few lines in a painful sprawling hand to say that his sight was much worse that he was afraid it was serious and a few days after that the news circulated that he was blind in improving tales when the misunderstood boy loses his sight all his acquaintances reproach themselves for their cruelty towards him and flock to his simple parlour to listen to him talking like a tract and derive a lasting moral from the patience he displays 
It did not happen like that in Willie Childer's case, because the men had no idea that they had shown any cruelty. Excepting for Ted Shepherd and one or two other very occasional visitors, he passed his time in unbroken solitude. Of course it was useless for him to remain on the fields any longer. Somerset, who in a few months' time was going to England for a brief holiday, had arranged to take him home. In London a specialist was to be consulted, and perhaps an operation might be performed. Meanwhile, Willie was removed to the manager's cottage on the Fortunatus Works. His uncle came there to sleep, between the hours of the club's closing and sun-up each morning. During the day, a Kaffir fetched his meals from the Carnarvon Hotel. He had no one to talk to. He knew none of the pursuits by which the blind contrive, after years, to occupy themselves. He could do nothing but think, and compose verse in his head. He sat helpless in the blazing iron shanty, listening to the clamour of machinery throughout the day, or the crooning of Kaffirs crouched round their bonfires when the moon rose, and in this fashion a fortnight wore itself past. Johnny Teal was the man. Others participated, and so were guilty. Among them Blake Somerset. But Johnny Teal was the man that suggested the trick. Let it be stated. There was a girl in the rush in those days referred to as Paul Patchouli. She had opened a shop at the back of the diamond market for the sale of bad scent, after she left the ladies' orchestra with which she had come from Natal. Her real name was not known. She called herself Olive Esmond, but that has nothing to do with it. She was not considered pretty. She was, in fact, thought very plain. Even in a spot where men were not exacting in the matter of feminine attractions, and a little comeliness went a long way. She was, however, an amusing girl, not wholly uneducated, and a fortnight after Willie's retirement to the cottage opposite the Fortunatus tailings heap, it transpired that she had a singular accomplishment. She could imitate Rose Duchesne to the life. She did it so well, according to an enthusiast who had heard her, that she might have got an engagement at home at a music hall. He said you could have shut your eyes and sworn Duchesne was speaking. It was precisely this criticism that gave Johnny Teal his idea. If you could shut your eyes and think Duchesne was speaking, she might be presented to a blind man as Duchesne herself. Some of the group to which he propounded it certainly demurred, they said it would be blackguardly to play tricks with childers now, and objected a good deal in an irresolute way. But Teal set himself to argue their scruples into air. For childers to have a conversation with Polly, under the impression she was the actress, wouldn't do the poor chap any harm, he insisted. On the contrary, it'd give him immense pleasure." And as to the humour of the cell, it would be one of the best practical jokes ever perpetrated in the camp. That was true, and a strong temptation. 
reiterating that the victim need never know, that no disappointment was entailed, that the scene would be no less delightful to Childers, because the happiness was illusory, he had his way at last. And Polly was interviewed and coached. A deputation went up to Kimberly to see her. "'We want you to help us in a tremendous spoof, Polly,' they said. "'You've heard of Willie Childers?' No, she had not heard of him. Who was he? Well, he thinks he's a poet, and he has lost his sight, and he's in love with Duchesne, explained Teal. Now we want to tell him we're going to introduce him to her, and then bring him to you, d'ye see? He'll make love to you as violently as he knows how, and you're to pretend to be awfully taken with him, and kid him on, d'ye see? course she'll talk all the time like Duchesne, and end by vowing he's the only man in the world for you. And we, two or three of us, all be hidden about the place somewhere, watching the game, do you see? You know? Do you think you can do it? The girl laughed. She was not disgusted by the infamous taste of the project. It struck her as being an uncommonly funny one. You may bet all you've got I can do it, she said. Rather, what a lark! When'll you bring him, boys? Well, it's got to be carried out carefully, said Teal. One of us must go and say that he has met her, and then very kindly say he'll try to get permission to present Childers to her. He's as green as they make him, but it won't do to rush the thing through as if it were as easy as ordering a drink. Say Thursday, eh? Right, said Polly. Thursday. Is he really crazy for her, or just spoons? Shouldn't wonder if he knelt down and kissed your boots. She threw back her head and laughed again. I shall enjoy this, she exclaimed. It's something I like. No time was lost in acquainting Willie with the privilege that might be in store for him and for a moment the expressions of gratitude into which he broke made the conspirators feel almost as despicable as they were. They left him in a fever of suspense for a couple of days, and then he was told that Teal and Ted Shepherd were to take him to Duchesne on the following afternoon. "'I let her know you wrote poetry,' said Teal. "'I cracked you up a lot before I asked permission to bring you.' It wanted a bit of nerve to do it, considering I'd only met her once myself, but I knew how keen on it you were. Willie, who was trembling, groped for his hand and pressed it. Indeed, he could hardly realize that the bewildering thing had happened. It was actual. He had to repeat it. The prospect of sitting by Rosa Duchesne and hearing her talk, though he wouldn't see her, dizzied him. At night he could not sleep, and he passed the long morning praying to hear each hour's strike on the little American clock that he had bought to let him know how the time went since his watch became useless. When Teal and the assistant magistrate arrived and guided him up into the cart, the effort of replying to them was pain. He thanked God when he could be silent. His breathing apparatus was playing the same tricks that it had played in the theatre, and the clip-clop sound of the horse's hoofs seemed to be vibrating in his inside. 
the hotel to which they were bound was not the queen's where duchene was really staying but a third-rate hotel called the royal and his companions had misgivings lest he should detect the difference on reaching kimberley teal began to talk again eagerly to distract his attention but it was taking unnecessary trouble his affliction was too recent and his excitement too great for the dupe to have such acuteness of perception the driver stopped and shepherd who had agreed to come less because he looked forward to being amused by the deception than because he wished to see that it was not carried too far helped the blind man down his pink and white complexion pinker than usual they were met in the hall by a kaffir servant who had been carefully rehearsed in his part he showed his teeth in a grin of appreciation is madame duchene in said teal we're expected the negro disappeared and after a few minutes returned to conduct them to a poor ground-floor room that opened on to a step and a back yard at one end was a small bedstead with a wash-hand stand at the foot the rest of the furniture consisted of a chest of drawers a chintz-covered couch and a couple of basket-chairs a few coloured plates from the summer numbers of the english illustrated papers had been pasted on the walls madame duchene soon come he said respectfully madame says the boss please wait that he grinned more widely still and pointed to the window behind it half a dozen bearded faces were pressed half a dozen arms waved gay salutes great scott exclaimed teal as the kaffir retired we're in a drawing-room again eh he gave a soft whistle expressive of admiration and astonishment what do you think of this it's all right said shepherd confusedly teal nudged him and frowned all right he echoed well i don't know what you were used to my lord but it's about as fine as anything i ever struck look at that tapestry and those bally idols over there why the woman must be mad to carry such things about with her what's it like asked willie in a reverent voice it's oriental said teal shouldn't you call it oriental shepherd by gum i should like to see her flat in paris if this is the sort of thing she goes in for for six weeks what's the eastern smell don't you notice it it was a pastille that had been set burning in the soap dish he affected to explore for it among countless treasures this is it he said in this pagoda affair what does she keep her room so dark for a bit mystic ain't it take care don't move childress or you'll tumble over a tiger's head hello there was a woman's step in the passage and as they caught it willie turned a dead white the group outside who could see but not hear puffed their cigarettes and continued to stare in curiously here she is murmured shepherd stand up boy willie obeyed as the door opened and Paul Patchouli came in. End of section 7